With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. You know, I don't often talk too much about personal things, but I do have a personal favorite holiday, and that is coming up here in the United States. Uh, And that's Thanksgiving. I just love, I don't know why, but I've always loved Thanksgiving. Um, You know, we have have a lot to be grateful for. I certainly do. Um, Maybe not everyone, but uh, it's a great time to reach out to family, friends, and anyway, coming up. So I want to wish everyone in the U.S., uh, I'll wish all over the world, uh, but, you know, the U.S. in particular, we, that we celebrate it here. And uh, I'd like to wish everyone a wonderful Thanksgiving uh, coming up in just a couple of days. Let's see. Our blog this week is A UFO Falls to the Ground in Yorkshire, England. Another great one by uh, Charles Lear. And our guest, um, well, I would, our, our guest is a different guest than we had planned last week. And I will say this, that uh, it's not a bad idea to go over to podcastufo.com and go down on the sidebar and you'll see a mailing list sign up. All you do is pop your email in there. You click send and then you'll get a link in your email address to confirm it. And what it is, I just send out if there's any changes, um, I will send uh, a, a notice out for that. But also every uh, Tuesday morning ahead of the show, you'll get the blog link and you'll also get who the upcoming guest is of that day. And sometimes it changes on the day uh, for different reasons. Maybe a guest had to cancel for some reason or something else came along. Uh, tonight, Dean Aliotto, uh, he, you saw him briefly last week in last week's show. And he's on this week. We're going to discuss um, the overall state of ufology in general. It's been a long time since he's been a sole guest on this show. Um, I defer to him for a lot of things. Uh, he and I have become friends over the years, and uh, he's a real sharp guy. He's got his finger on the pulse of this. He's got some work coming up that is going to be very well appreciated by everyone in this group. And we're going to talk a little bit about a past situation that he had that is absolutely hilarious. Um, he uh, helped out James Fox with his Phenomenon movie, 
He's been um, helped out for A&E Specials, Bravo, Discovery, and uh, he was featured in the Paramount and documentary Unknown Dimensions. And anyway, I'm without further ado. What is ado anyway? I've never really understood what ado is. But without further ado, here is Dean Alioto. Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you, Martin. Glad to be back. Yeah. I think a do is like a honeydew, like a honeydew melon. Is it? Is that what is it that is? Do that you're referring? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you for clearing that up. But uh, welcome back to the show. And uh, I, you know, I think we we always have fun together. So, and it was a, a great visit I had out with you when I was in California a few weeks ago. That was just a blast. And now we're paying for uh, being warm those few weeks because right now it's like 34 degrees outside where I, where I am right now. I, I wasn't oh ready for that. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. And uh, I, I'm, I, you poor thing is probably down to 70 there, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's getting close. Um, I'm trying to keep it out of sight, out of mind. Cause if yeah. I think about it too much, I might get sad, which is season. Right. Affected right. disorder where I have to be at a perfect balmy 74. Otherwise, I'm just extremely <laughs> Well, depressed. you're in the right place there. In Southern I California. I will do podcasts. You can want me in your podcast. I'm suffering from SADS. Yes. Yeah. You know, before uh, before we get into like our main topic tonight, I there, we do have a lot of new people that listen to the show all the time. And I don't think a lot of people know about uh, your found footage. And when I said earlier, when I was introducing you, when I said it's hilarious, what happened after you created the video for like on a shoestring budget, that's what became hilarious and the, and the, the outcome, uh, the things that happened after that. But I'd like to play a clip. First of all, for those of, uh, for those of you who have never heard of this, it was a, it was a found footage, actually probably the original found footage show, right? I mean, this was your concept it's, right out of high school, right? I've been accused a few yeah. times. Yes. yes. Yeah. Move over Blair Rich. Blair Witch. Okay. Here we go. Here's the clip. One minute clip. Happy birthday to you. Wait, Michael. Shh, don't blow yet. I don't need to tell me. Don't tell me. Hold on. Oh, it's working. Forget it. Oh, what a guy. You're going to break your neck for that. I'm gonna break it. Holy shit, man. What the hell was that? Holy shit. What the hell was that? He's got him! He shot one of them dead, it's right outside there! Are you sure it's not back there? It's not back there. I just took a look in there. Get out. Well, there's a little trailer there. Uh, so let's talk about how that all started, how that all came together. But I want to talk about also uh, about what happened to the warehouse and, all, you know, the whole thing. You can do it. I know people, some people... I believe you told this about three years ago, maybe four years ago in this show. So there, like I said, there's a lot of new people and uh, it, for me, it never gets old. I so. think I can do this in two or three minutes. So if you guys have heard this before, come back 
in two or three minutes and you'll just pick up I'll and a, get into some really cool, cool shit. Well, um, I, I, <laughs> I put a timestamp last week. A lot of people said, oh, you got to do that every week, you know, where you click oh, on the timestamps and it goes, but I'm not going to do that this time. I don't think, but I might do a few, <laughs> Dean. Go ahead. I'm telling right. you. Yeah. Click. Um, so here's what happened. Um, I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker at an early age. And uh, one of the things that all of my my filmmaking idols had done is that they had made the first feature by the age of 25. That goes with um, from Orson Welles to Steven Spielberg, uh, George Lucas, Coppola, all these cats. So I decided that I was going to do that. And um, unfortunately, uh, right at a film school, um, all I had was a, a, you know, a, a, a camcorder and and a guy who I went to school with, high school with, who wanted to be a producer and said he would finance my first feature. And so he he said, uh, you know, let, let's do this. And I said, great. How much do you have? And he said, I'm I'm willing to spend sixty five hundred bucks. <laughs> so uh, back then there was no DSLR camera, stuff like that. It was thirty five millimeter or sixteen millimeter, which is is uh, almost equally expensive with lab costs and everything. And so I decided, because I'd been shooting with my um, buddy these wedding videos, and I had decided that I was going to, you know, maybe do something with that, but I wasn't sure. And then I had read Communion around that time, and it scared the hell out of me more than any Stephen King novel. And then I remember specifically, and I was just mentioning this to my uh, girlfriend, Allie, we were flying out, and I had a flashback where I remember flying out from San Francisco, and it was that perfect time where you go from you know, dusk until night, until night. And you can see the curvature of the planet because the planet, you know, it's, it's actually not flat. Um, and so I uh, was imagining leaving the planet. This would be the last time that I would ever see the planet looking down out the window. And that kind of started something. And I thought, well, you know, what if I conflated all these things? I did like kind of like a War of the Worlds on videotape and shot this thing in one take um, and uh, hired improv actors and uh and did it all in one night and so that's exactly uh what i did um i had a 10 page beat sheet of all these things that were based on what um whitley and bud hopkins book books had uh, purported and um just found myself you know shooting this thing and and finished it and ironically um the thing actually got distributed i do remember this one story where this woman head of production company um yelled at me when I came in with my little teaser trailer for my film, because she said, don't ever waste my time. Don't ever come back here again, unless you have a real film. And so that was my last second to last um, uh, meeting that I had with trying to sell this, this thing. I had, I'm from San Francisco and I had commuted up to San, to uh, LA just for the purposes of selling this thing. So I thought, well, that was it. My very last meeting met with this guy and he says, I love it. Let's do it. And, uh, so that was it. So I checked in a few months later. I'd given him all my artwork, my master, the whole deal. And I said, hey, so, you know, how are the pre-orders? How are we doing? And he goes, oh, it's uh, went up in flames, man. And I thought, oh, we're on fire. We're crushing it. I go, well, how many units? And he said, all of them. And I said, well, you know, we've blown all the units. And he said, no, no, no. They literally all went up. And then he explained to me that the warehouse burned to the ground. And I lost all my main masters, or one my one main master, all of my artwork, gone, history. And so, uh, you know, we were kind of depressed, but I thought that the film gods might have been telling me something, and so it was time to move on. <laughs> and so 
I did. Uh, <laughs> flash forward to five years later, and I get a call from this guy, uh, Sean David Morton, um, saying, hey, um, do you know who found this footage? Uh, your name came up. And that was the first time I'd ever heard found footage. And this would have been, let's see, the early 90s. And I said, uh, I said, well, what footage are you talking about? He told it, you know, explained to me. And I said, well, you know, no one found that. We made it. And he says, okay, do you know what's been going on with your film? And I'm like, dude, who the hell are you? And he says, I just got back from the International UFO Congress Convention where your film was shown and believed to be the real thing. Um, Tom Dongo, UFO researcher, had gotten his hands on it. Um, and then UFO researcher, um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, retired uh, Don Ware, the Air Force Intelligence claimed it was authentic, and that pretty much nailed its, uh, its uh, infamy right then and there. And so I was amused by it. I didn't understand what any of that meant. All I knew was that Sean was saying Unsolved Mysteries, Hard Copy, and this Fox show called Encounters all want to do, want to interview me and do a story on the segment. And I said to him, well, Unsolved Mysteries, I guess that's out. And he says, what do you mean? I said, well, it's called Unsolved. It's not called Solved Mysteries. And he says, well, not necessarily. <laughs> and I said, no, Sean, um, who's going to give us most airtime? And he, you know, Fox turned out they were going to give us six and a half minutes and let us do a little bumper. And so went on that show and then they interviewed a couple other people. And, and what we kind of figured out was that someone much more clever than I am and more devious than I am edited off the credits because a few mom and pop video stores uh, got advanced screeners and cut off the credits and injected to the UFO community, which took about five years to fully implode or explode um, and uh, become this strange, um, you know, kind of conspiracy phenomenon. And so I went out on, on you know, national TV and debunked my own film. I think I'm the first and only filmmaker so far <laughs> to debunk their own film. <laughs> but I have enough respect for UFO researchers that that I don't want any more, you know, stuff on their plate that they don't need. So, you know, that was it. I thought, well, there's my 15 minutes of fame, you know, time to move on. And then I meet this head writer. We're working on the Stephen J. Cannell crime series. And he says, I heard about this thing. I want to see it. And I said, no, it's crappy. It's handheld. It's this thing that's meant to look like a home video because no one had done that at this time. Still, um, it was years away from Blair Witch. And so there's no reference for it. And so he said, you know, shut up and show it to me. And he got a, a movie deal set up at Dick Clark Productions. So we did a remake of it, essentially. And um, now the budget was $1.25 million. We were shooting up in Canada with the guys from the X-Files and uh, to do the ship and aliens. And so now we had a week instead of one day. And we came in half a million under budget and, you know, came back. And, and that was it. And I thought, well, that was fun. You know, that extended that, you know, 15 minutes to maybe 17 minutes. And um, and then I got fired because everyone at UPN um, got fired, which means that any project that's there, they get kicked to the curb. So um, they go out and they put in more interviews, except they put in. I, I had fake interviews that were intercut throughout the footage. They brought in Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Stan Friedman, uh, uh, Daryl Sims, my good friend, Yvonne Smith, and and then cut it in with the footage so it looked like they were, you know, conjecturing about the actual uh, show, which wasn't cool. I do remember, um, I do remember uh, uh, Stan Friedman on Coast to Coast, and all these people were infuriated and they were calling in and saying, "You need to sue them." And I was going, "Yes, please sue, sue them." And so um, anyway, um, that was it. And you know, I thought, wow. well. There you go. I've done. I finished out my time in this space and I've enjoyed it. And and, um, and that was it. And by the way, the first online poll was done, um, which was asking if this is real or not. And that was after the credits said, you know, Alien 1 and 2 and 3 played by so-and-so. And and I, I shit you not, 49% of the audience claimed it was authentic after seeing all that. So that kind of, wow. you know, taught me something, the power of, you know, showing. And yeah. then over the years... I thought, you know, again, that was it. Then over the years, all these conspiracies started to build. And one of them was that, um, and the original name of that remake for UPN was the McPherson tape, um, which for some reason was ascribed now uh, onto the original, which was called UFO Abduction, the one I had done in 89. But um, anyway, it was rebranded as Alien Abduction Incident in Lake County. And so the internet came and started firing off all these um, conspiracies that um, that I was hired by the government to uh, to remake it, to throw people off the scent of the original one, because that's <laughs> apparently what happens. They hire filmmakers to throw people off the set. They should have done that with JFK. I guess yeah, with a $1.5 million budget, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I got a very small percentage of that. So I need to talk to my agent about that in the future if I'm going to engage in any conspiracy activities. So anyway, you know, I thought that was it. And then lo and behold, uh, 2018, 17 rolls around and and Alejandro and I connect Rojas and he says, hey, Karen, who runs um, the International UFO Congress Convention, Bard, they want to do a, a special anniversary. Uh, screening of the film they want me to come out and speak and so uh i did that and then uh and then i was at then i went to fantastic fest they also want to do this um um you know re-release of the film which is alamo draft house and so that happened and then um it just kept snowballing and and while i was in this going to these ufo conventions and stuff um i started meeting people that you know, the spectrum of people you meet someone who tells you at the fire pit at the um, what is it? What's the name of that? The hotel at uh, the International UFO Congress Convention it used to be at the has a uh, it's the name. What? Uh, God, I forgot the name. What? Something um, resort that we were staying at in Phoenix. Wicopa. I was just there. Yeah. Yeah. The Wicopa uh, Conference Center. Yes. Yeah. So the first night I got there, there was this guy who was sitting there slamming some bud and telling me that he was born with Vulcan ears 
and his damn parents had rounded them out and he was pissed off. And so it went from that to going to a support group um, with Yvonne Smith saying, hey, I've got the support group with experiencers. And I thought, I told my girlfriend, Allie, I said, well, this will be the true tale of the tape. You know, we'll see what, what we get here, but I'm expecting it to be a little bit, you know, the full spectrum of, you know, from credible to maybe not so credible. And so I came home and she says, well, how was that? And I said, horrifying. Uh, I believed every single one of them. And I've worked for 20 years on crime shows and not a blip on my bullshit meter went off. And, and that and a few other, uh, you know, incidences, meeting people and stuff got me thinking that there was something in the space that I had not seen before um, in, in a, either a movie or a series. And so that unfortunately was the gateway drug that got me into this four year, uh, nearly four year uh, odyssey of creating a science documentary, not a UFO and alien documentary, but a science documentary about UFOs and aliens, which I've just wrapped as of last week. Um, and it's a three-parter. Um, I've got great people from, you know, Harvard, um, uh, Oxford, um, you know, people who like, I've got Michio Kaku. I've got the guy who created the, um, the, um, um, simulated reality hypothesis who's there. Um, I've got, um, a singularity, um, expert, um, and best-selling author, uh, Daniel Wilson, among other people like Travis, uh, Walton and, and some regulars, but there's new information and stuff. So if I brought someone in who, who we've seen before, uh, I made sure that we got some new information that we hadn't got before, because for me, ultimately, I thought, even though I've been tracking this since I was a kid, the phenomenon, um, I wanted to make something that was somewhere between the dummies guide to UFO and aliens and the New England Journal of Medicine so that there would be a nice introduction into this world, but I wouldn't leave the people who, who follow this, the hardcore you know, people like us um, in the dust, that there would be something new, a mic drop in every episode. And so I'm, I'm happy to say that we were able to accomplish that. And you're going to see some really <laughs> cool stuff uh, that you've yeah. not seen before. And so um, that's uh, kind of uh, my journey up until this moment. And, and Martin was the uh, first person that I think one of the first podcasts um, that I did when uh, I came out of the closet, if you will, in 2017, 18. Yeah. Well, I think that's where we met. At, yeah, we met there that, that year and kind of been in touch ever since. And uh, and it's been a lot of fun. But um, you've had people also that will try to debunk your debunking that that's not found footage, which I think is really hilarious. Like they knew the people in the film and those that's a real family and and uh yeah i think it's, um, you know i mean that that's kind of shows you how strong someone's belief can be in something really well i got i would get hate mail or email and my favorite of all time was this guy saying you know i see right through you um how do you explain my mother's best friends being best friends with the woman who know knew the woman who was abducted who was the mother in my thing and i said you got me. I can't explain how your mother is good friends with a woman who is friends of a fictional character. I can't, I can't help you there. I don't know what to tell you. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I've seen, uh, you know, I do remember you speaking about that and then I've seen you all of a sudden taking this thing very seriously and really doing a deep dive 
in the last several years. And, and, uh, you know, you're often, you're in the background, you know, watching my show a lot of times and watching many others, and you really have taken a keen interest. And so you happen to come along at a time where it's much uh, more take this subject's taken much more seriously than it has been the entire time that I've been doing it. And for the years ahead of that. Um, so your timing was really good. And, uh, and when you're interviewing all these people, how many people in total do you have in these, this three part docuseries? I, I interviewed 53 people. It was supposed to be 12 people and I was going to be done in six to nine months. Um, when I consulted with, um, uh, uh, James Fox on the phenomenon briefly, I, uh, I said to him, you know, this is eight years, nine years, you're at this. That's not sustainable. You know that, right? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. And here I am four years yeah. <laughs> into it. And so it does grab a hold of you. What happens is, is this, it's, you know, you, you interview someone and they go, okay, the questions that you're asking me, um, I can only partially answer those because they're out of my purview, but you should talk to this person. And then that person leads to someone else. And pretty soon, you know, this web starts to build out and, you know, years go by and dozens of interviews, you know, go. And at some point you have to cut yourself off. And so uh, my last interview was um, I had two interviews. One of them is a special guest who I can't say who it is, who uh, uh, is uh, one of the last interviews in episode three. But Greg Bishop was the second to last one. And um, he offered a couple of really funny, terrific lines. Um, but yeah, it, it really, um, boy, uh, it, be, it just became this whole thing. I mean, it started as a feature film that became this three-parter. So that gives you kind of an idea. And out of the 53, only three of those um, didn't make it into this. The other ones will probably end up being, in, you know, I want to do a really good behind the scenes or special feature bonus stuff. That is, you know, things that you also haven't seen before. So, well, I've I've been in touch a little bit here and there with James Fox lately, and he is in the middle of something. He's not not really giving me any details, but he's he's working like crazy right now on something. So, uh, you may yeah. know more about that than I do. I don't know what is what is common knowledge and what is not, but uh, but he's he's got something going on when it comes to the UFO. Uh, once again, what I can tell you, what I can share with you about his new documentary is absolutely nothing. <laughs> the, <laughs> the way same that thing I can. Yeah. Yeah. Just like I wouldn't want anyone sharing anything um, about my stuff until it's time. But I, I do know that that um, if anyone's going to unearth something that's going to, uh, you know, uh, be a nice um, check on the Richter scale, it'll be James. So I'm yeah. I'm equally I'm with everyone else. I'm very excited to see what he's going to be coming up with. I know that he's very enthused. And so, um, you know, it, it'll be worth it, whatever it is. Right. And where do you expect uh, or do you haven't you got you have not sold this thing yet? We have no idea when we can watch it and where we can watch it. But can you direct people to your website or some way where they can figure out how these things are going to be released? Um, what, how this usually works is, um, uh, especially these films that are made independently, like, um, like, you know, um, uh, Jeremy Corbell and Fox and, and other filmmakers, um, that out there, we make these things independently and then we, um, you know, 
pull together with our sales team. And then we go out and we see, you know, what the temperature is out, who's interested, et cetera, and hit that. So until then, I'm not going to be showing a trailer. We have a, a trailer uh, that an editor from Netflix cut. Uh, not that it's going to be at, at Netflix. There's no guarantees of where we're going to be uh, at this point. Um, we'll probably close a deal, if not by the end of the year, first thing uh, come the new year. And so then I can talk more freely about, you know, when it'll be targeted, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I mean, right now um, there's, there's, you know, th- there'll be more occasionally. Well, I mean, if you go to, yeah. on, on um, if you go to uh, Instagram, Dean Alliott occasionally I post things behind the scenes, things of what's going on there. My name, Dean, Dean Alliott or Dean underscore Alliott, I think it might be, uh, or my well, Dean Alliott page on Facebook. Um, yeah. Fan page. Well, you'll, you'll definitely be uh, back on to promote it once it's out. So we'll get the word out there for sure and put it up on the website as well. So I wouldn't worry about that. Now I do want to say that, and I know you, you know, uh, as much as I do about this too, but since we're talking about films when they're coming out, I know that I get at least two or three emails a week and I'll get probably several after this if I don't address it. And that is, uh, I have no idea when the Ariel's phenomenon is coming out. Um, you know, I've heard rumors that it was going to be before the end of this year. It was going to be on a major streaming platform. I have no other information. Can't find out any information just to let everyone know. So uh, I apologize. I, I thought, uh, I should hear something back um, at this point, but I still have no information on that. It's kind of a mystery. Yeah, your guess, yeah, your guess is going to be as good as mine. Um, I, 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 I'm sure I just know as much as you, which is that they've made a deal, um, I believe, with a distributor, if that's all been you know signed and dotted. Um, and so, I, if I had to, you know, venture a guess, I would say it would be coming out sometime uh, next year, hopefully early next year. But only Randy. Um, Nickerson will have the answer to that, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an important documentary and, um, you know, I, I like seeing this shift from the nuts and bolts craft to the experiencers who, for me, um, you know, these are the, um, emissaries of the phenomena. You know, you want to talk about disclosure. These are the people who are having disclosure on a personal, you know, one by one basis. Uh, it's probably a lot safer and landing on the White House, House lawn and, you know, getting shot at and then asking them questions later on. Oh, oh, you were, oh, we didn't know. It. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I think these are the people, um, you know, that, that are the closest links that we have. And so I, I really want to see them have their. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, 
their seat at the table. I think that's kind of critical to go beyond just the kind of viewing these things. There's other things that are happening and there's enough cases out there to substantiate this as, as strong as, you know, a photograph, I would say, especially in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I, uh, I people ask me what I think is the most important case. I actually, I have to put this one at the top and, you know, it's, there may be a few that are close second, but um, I think the Ariel um, incident is to me the most convincing of all them out there that something really strange. And I know there's, there's more evidence, so to speak, when it comes to like the Nimitz case and other cases where there's all kinds of other, you know, backed up data. Um, and there's no data. There's just, you know, several, many, many school children that saw this thing and, and uh, right away drew pictures of it and uh, carried this thing all through their lives. All these, these children. I've interviewed two of uh, the students. Yeah. And um, one of them drops a big, big, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Interviewed two of them. One of them uh, drops, does a big mic drop. Um, So um, that's all I can say about that. Can you tell that I enjoy teasing? Can you (laughs) just a little bit? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Always. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, uh, you know, if you were to say, let me create a, a perfect scenario for a UFO case, what would that be? Well, it would be broad daylight because I don't want to hear any talk about sleep paralysis. Um, it would be several witnesses and um, it would be, uh, you know, experienced by people who are not um, uh, not going to be subjected to having ideas that are going to, you know, filter or going to shade their opinion. They would just be raw. This is what I saw. And that would be children. And so I don't think it's an accident that it happened at a schoolyard. And as a, a, a Preston, um, will tell you that there's um, been tons of uh, schoolyard uh, encounters. This happens in Zimbabwe. It happens in a school that um, I sound like I'm promoting Randy's movie, but maybe I'm promoting both of ours Um, (laughs) um, that, uh, you know, it's a progressive school where there's um, black, white, Christian, Muslim, uh, Catholics across the board um, out in the country. And uh, it's witnessed by not 62, as was you know originally reported. It's, re- it's witnessed by much more. And as Fox revealed, it was witnessed by one of the teachers as well, who was too afraid and even terrified to say anything. Um, but that's, you know, there it is. It's right there. And they're all saying essentially the same exact thing, drawing the same pictures. And they're getting, you know, more important, they're getting the images of what, you know, not all of them, but the ones that were up close. Um, uh, mostly receive these these telepathic images. So this to me is a, a watershed moment. It's 1994. This is before the internet and everything where these kids would have known about that. Um, yeah. You know, and and I doubt they had even seen ET. You know, at the moment, you know, let alone close encounters and stuff like that, where you see the typical you know grazes they described. So you know, a lot of them didn't even have TVs. Yeah. You know, they didn't even have yeah. television. No, so, and they were worried about getting in trouble for seeing this thing. Yeah. Because they thought their parents were going to give them grief and stuff. And and some so, of the parents did. Some of the parents yeah. thought it was deno- uh, demonic. Yeah. And that's the other thing is, you know, that's another good reason for them not just to show up and start doing, you know, um, Tucker Carlson and other shows <laughs> on both sides because – you know, someone's going to come out and throw down on, on the demon card and say, yeah, they're 
they're here, they're going to eat our souls, start with yeah. our brains and then work their way to our souls. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, to be honest, I, I think the best way for anyone who's approaching this or, or interested in this, or even has been at this a long time, we have to kind of constantly remind ourselves, what would we do? Not that we're an indicator of, of you know, what, what would happen, but would we, you know, the prime directive, Star Trek, are we going to show up and we're going to like, you know, throw ourselves a party, come with a boom box blaring and going, yo, guys, what's up? We're just a few light years over. Heard you guys were, you know, got some cool bands. No, <laughs> yeah, we're going to study them like entomologists. And as I said on your show, I get really pissed off when I hear talk of um, that, you know, what would they want with us? We're so primitive. They could, you know, they couldn't they could care less. And, you know, as I said before, this isn't an intelligence beauty contest. All life is of interest. You know, one life form is not less valuable than another. Uh, so I, I think that all of that has to be considered. And and if that's the case, you know, and if we were in that situation where we were so advanced and we had survived the pettiness that, that we have a lot on this earth, what would we do? And it would be to check out other civilizations and see where they're going. Um, the question is, do they nudge us? You know, do they give a little, you might want to not press that red button, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of answers by looking within and, and you know, which is kind of tough because you can't look at it from the human perspective. Right. Because that's just projecting, yeah. right? Yeah. But but you well, can but you look at it. But you just did. You just said, uh, you know, we'd study them. Like we were studying ants. Yeah, but you know why? Yeah, because there's one thing that I think all intelligent life has across the board. And we see it here from ants to humans, which is curiosity. I knew you were going to say that. You did. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, if they didn't have curiosity, you're right. They wouldn't even be exploring whatever they're exploring, whether it's space or another dimension or whatever it is, they, wherever they come from. Um, they're, yeah. The only reason they'd be here is, you're right, curiosity, I would think. It wouldn't be by accident. No, but they want to be sane. Um, they do. Sometimes they've got, you know, lights flashing. What's that all about? You don't, you don't need that. It's kind of like, as, a, as a Greg Bishop would say, it's kind of this weird, you know, uh, kabuki and, and, Robbie Graham will, will echo that as well. It's this weird kabuki where they just, uh, you know, come and want to be seen. And, and, and the people who see it are greatly affected. I've got a documentary film of filmmaker friend of mine who called me last year and said, um, Hey, I need to talk to you. I understand that you're kind of into UFOs. Uh, and I said, yeah, sure. And he said, I saw something at 4am on my balcony and, um, I don't believe in UFOs. Let me just say that right off the bat. I think that whole thing is, you know, BS and, and we're it. And I go, okay, well, you're entitled to that. And he said, but this has got me sh shooken up, uh, shaken up. He said, I saw this silver craft going along silently. And maybe it was 25 feet long and it was moving along, had this kind of blue light or flame in the back of it. And it was moving along silently. And he said, just the appearance of it, he could, he had a sense, this kind of connection. I'm not from here. 
Like he, he felt that. And then the light flashed and it was gone. He says, it wasn't like you could see it take off. It was just like gone, like it, you know, phased out. And so he was calling me, uh, freaked out and like needed to be talked off the, you know, off the limb. And so, um, I directed him to, uh, Earl Gray, you know, MUFON, uh, LA director, which might've been a bad thing. Cause who knows what Earl's going to do. That guy's crazy. No. Um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, he, you know, is going to kind of let him know, Hey, you're one of many, you know, you don't have to be a believer to witness these things. You know, uh, my mother's seen one, my ex saw one. I've not seen one. That's not cool. But, um, you know, that's why I think because I haven't seen one, that's why, you know, when I say that I've seen something or, or if someone has given me some evidence, I, you know, I, I always say, you know, I'm not an easy first date. You're not going to get far with me on the first date. I have to be convinced. I have to be proven. You know, I have to feel like it's genuine. It's authentic. It's real love. And this is a real reality. And then when it is, I can give myself. But until then, um, I'm going to have that wall. You're going to get the handshake at the end of the night from me until, uh, you know, I believe that that we have something legit. Um, I got to tell you that you just brought up about the, the lights here. And I had a science teacher, the last time we brought this up, I asked him if he'd come on the show and give his opinion, you know, maybe just for a clip or something. But when it comes up about why do, uh, you know, UFOs seem to, a lot of them seem to have lights. Um, he came up, he wrote me this here. We as humans in the 21st century believe that the use of artificial light is limited to the following. Well, it's kind of long for me to go into. He goes into photography, vitamin D, maintenance and temperature, um, drying and evaporating, sterilization, solar energy. And then he goes on to what he thinks the possibility of UFOs, why they have lights, maybe sensors for various applications, the source of propulsion or an element that is needed for propulsion, the visual byproduct of photons required to cloaking apparatus, Again, the byproduct of the use of photons stimulate the Earth's magnetic field in order to open a gateway to a different dimension. He has all these things, simply navigation lights to one other crafts in their location. Clearly, these things are solid objects and they can be susceptible to collisions. The byproduct of the process to convert dark matter or dark energy into something else like full fuel, food, water, oxygen, things like that. So anyway, it's pretty interesting. This uh, science teacher wrote me from Canada. Um, and uh, are, just are one of those off. things, are one of those things a sun lamp? That, that <laughs> That's we right. Should go out there with our photo albums. We put, remember, aluminum foil over that. You get the whole, even oh, underneath. Yeah. You got to get underneath there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, we don't know. And all we can do is, is throw out our best guess. But, um, you know, I kind of look at at this from, you know, what 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 could be you know that uh, first of all how they appear and disappear um if you can cloak yourself why do you appear you know and then you can tell me well it's because they can't sustain that the whole time and they need to refuel or whatever but there's more than enough accounts and even with fravors you know commander fravor says this thing became aware of me and it turned its head like a dog going turned and looked and came at him like the whole craft had awareness which, yeah. you know, all these things, it might be weird and outside the realm, but that's where 
that's where the, the clues are. It's not in a clean, shiny, you know, frisbee looking craft that comes and lands and they get out and everything. It's it's the stuff before and after that you see or the things that that just seem so bizarre. Um, for the longest time, and this has happened many a time where I feel like I have it. I think I've got it figured out. I think I've got a clue here. I've got a threat. And I tug and the whole thing comes apart. And that's happened many a time. One of the times was when I kept hearing about um, deceased relatives who were on these crafts. And I thought, well, if they're traveling the astral plane, which, you know, my background was much more in spirituality, um, you know, Tibetanism um, and Buddhism. And so taking those things from reincarnation and everything and looking at, you know, when you die, you do carry on. I believe that old matter, you know, has energy and energy can't be destroyed. And I thought if they're phasing or they're traveling in the astral plane, you might see that. So if you are, are say, materialized into their, you know, their channel, their dimension, and you're in the astral plane, you might see stuff like that. So it won't be so weird. And so someone may argue, well, they're tricksters and they're trying to make you feel at home. It's like, well, if they're doing that, then as Travis Walton says, why don't they all just look like us? That'll make us feel much better. Um, you know, you can pick the celebrity if you want George Clooney to abduct you. They look like George Clooney or whatever. Um, I'm, I might not do George Clooney myself, but um, the point is <laughs> that um, that maybe Evil Knievel, that would be great to see him. I miss him. Um, but uh, so that is its own weirdness and that is its own clue. So you have to put that up on the board, you know, and it's and it's not always neat. But there's something there's something there that they're able to do that. And so when people are transferred through walls and windows, that means they're changing the composition, the physical composition of these people and, and doing this and the crafts, the way that they're you know moving and stuff. And you can almost see through them. These are all little clues. So not to skip ahead to the to the punchline or the finish line. But lastly, the thing that's interesting is um, when it's time for us to discover these things and, and understand it, you know, we have an agreement with with them or with their reality. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And they have to agree. They have to come halfway on, on the bridge and say, all right, we'll meet you halfway. Here's what we are and this is what we can do, et cetera. And so there's a reason why, you know, we don't have those nuts and bolts pictures right now. Maybe the military does, but I think there's a reason why we don't have the proof that everyone, you know, from Neil deGrasse Tyson to even Seth Sostak goes, all right, this is it. So my question is, how come we don't have that? How come we don't have that smoking gun? Why don't we have that now? And yeah. is it a bad thing that we don't? And what what would the smoking gun look like exactly? You know, that's because whatever we think we have for data right now isn't enough to convince um, the a large enough body of people. And what would it take to convince a large enough body of people that 
you know, we're not alone, but I don't know, you know, let's just say it's what we're seeing. And I'm just throwing this out there because I don't know, but let's just say they're extraterrestrial. That's what we're seeing. You know, that that's one of the, the biggest theories, I think, uh, or biggest possibilities to some of, at least some of these things that show up. Um, what would be, you know, a structured craft on the ground with beings that would be able to be explored, you know, by scientists? Is that what it would be? It's hard. It's hard. Well, to one say. could argue that's already been done because scientists have had their own experiences, right? Um, you know, and and if you want someone credible, you've got you know, Lonnie Zamora, um, you've got Commander Fravor. So these people have seen these things. You know, they haven't gone up and kicked the tires. Jim Penniston did. Yeah. You know, Rendlesham, he went and, and did it. So it's like, if someone were to say to me before Rendlesham, I want some of the military who's gone up and touched one of these things and had their own experience. Show me that. And then, you know, give, give me someone credible, you know, then I'll, I'll go there. Well, that happened. So yeah. every time we move the, you know, move the ball down the field, it seems like the goalpost gets, gets, you know, slid further and further back. So all we can do is look at what we do have now and say, okay, so what is the next step? And the next step is, okay, there's two, uh, in my head, I carry these two things. One is you have to have your own personal experience. Once you've done that, then, then that reality has crossed over, right? Then it's become a part of their reality. And, and even then, there's going to be some questions that will come and linger in waves, right? But at least you can go, will this happen? And you need to have a witness. I think that's imperative. And the second thing is, um, what would it be, you know, personally for me? Because it's going to be personal to everyone. And so experiencers, their evidence to me, that that is just as as profound as any religious, you know, claims of seeing angels or God, Jesus, etc., is um, that these people suffer from, you know, experiencers suffer from PTSD. You can't fake PTSD that I'm aware of. And yeah. so, um, you know, if if that's the case, then these people are suffering. And again, I'm going to hit this note kind of hard. And in my doc, I do touch on this. You know, making fun of people or not believing someone who who has symptoms of of you know of what they've had, and whether it's good or bad, there always is trauma attached to it. It's like saying to someone, "Oh, you were accosted and you were molested." Really, was the van white or was it silver or was it black? You know, was it you know was it rope or was it you know? It's making fun of that. And you would never do that to someone in that situation. So why would you do that with someone who has, you know, claims of this? Um, whether you believe it or not, they believe it is what's important. So you have to hold on one hand, it's a personal thing. The second is, let's walk through the scenario of what it would be like in our best case scenario. Best case scenario is maybe they don't land in the White House. They land at a fair or something where people aren't prepared and they don't have weapons nearby. Um, though if it's Good in point. Texas, that yeah. might not be the case, but say a fair, you know, somewhere in maybe Seattle, we'll just say um, they would land there, a bunch of people, everyone's got their cell phones and stuff. And if they're not doing this, if they look up and see this, they videotape this, they have it, there's encounters, all that stuff. Uh, I think that would be from different angles. Cause it's all about triangulating you know, which is what Mark D'Antonio was working on with his thing with Doug Trumbull and, and a few others have the same type of program where they're looking at 
you know, getting all these different angles. So we would have that. And, and then we have this. Okay. So this is gold. So we have it, we take it back and we put it online and everyone sees it and it gets millions of hits and everyone's like, wow, this is it. And then the debunkers, you know, come in and then it comes in its news and then it goes and did it change anything? They came, they did this. Well, the military, when they came out in 2017, the Navy and said, yes, these things have been occurring. This is it. It's already been legitimized. So it's now just seeing the occupants, whoever is flying these, these things. So now they're not unmanned drones. Now there's something. Now you see that. So again, what is the ultimate end game? And I, and I always ask UFO researchers this and, and fans of um, this, this field, this unique field. I go, what is the ultimate goal, guys? What, is, what do we want? And if it's that we want to have confirmation that there's life elsewhere, well, I think the odds are that we know that that's the case. Do we want confirmation that they're humanoids? Well, that's uncertain, which is why I kind of lean a little bit or equally into Michael Masters, uh, who says that they could be from the future. Because, you know, if this hybrid program, as an example, if that's real, they're not going to be able to uh, uh, breed with another species. I mean, they might have technology, but it would be much easier, let's say, if they're from the future. And the way that, that Mike has mapped out, Michael has mapped out where we've come and where we're going, we're ending up looking like them. I mean, it, it sounds like that's pretty irrefutable at this point. Um, so if they're coming back in time, and they're breeding with us because there's too much, you know, inbreeding going on. And I guess they've got banjos in the future. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> then, I don't know uh, you'll get that reference, but maybe a few. Yeah, that's okay. It's just for the few. Um, so I, I think that that's, um, you know, something that, I, again, it's, it's, uh, you know, the humanoid thing. That's, I think life has already been visiting us in so many different forms. We haven't a clue. We have not a clue. There's no way they're not, you yeah. know, and they're not all going to look like us. And, and, you know, when I was interviewing uh, Michael for my doc and I said, um, masters, and I said, how come no one talks about reptilian hybrids, little reptilian children are mantis. So maybe there's something to what he's saying, which is that, you know, they look like us or the humanoids or humanoids because maybe they, you know, you know, are us. And what does that mean? Because at some point we're going to figure out time travel and that whole thing where you can only go back to the moment you created it. We, we, don't, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that I like to throw out to every single scientist that loves to throw down and says, look, here are the laws and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, every law that I know has been broken. So. Well, I, I recently was uh, in Arizona uh, speaking with Mark D'Antoni. We had several nights where we were hanging out together and we talked a lot. He's got a real interesting theory about extinction events and, you know, how things may have been so much different. And one of them is the dinosaurs because, you know, dinosaurs, some of them were around like 300 million years. And one of them in particular, the brain, they could see the brain was uh, getting larger. And so if that extinction event did not happen where they were wiped out, you know, would we be having reptilians, you know, that were intelligent and and learn how to, you know, build things and 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 actually, you know, do things in the future? I mean, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. 
And that's when the mammals, you know, the mammals took over after that extinction event. But if that hadn't happened, we'd certainly be very different than we are today. Right. And but then the big question is, why did that extinction event happen? Hmm. You, you why mean, was it their time? Yeah. Why was it their time to here go? for so long? You know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, uh, we're going into a break here in like two minutes, just to let you know. And uh, actually the the clip I'm going to talk about is of a girl named Denise. She was at the boot camp out in Arizona. And I am down to just a couple of uh, clips every week. I'd like to run a clip that is a UFO sighting. So I just saw someone, uh, David, in chat just a little while ago said he had a very unique UFO sighting. I am recording with these people. This one in particular was at the uh, boot camp, so it's a little bit loud for background noise. But uh, for those of you who have had a unique UFO sighting, I'd like to talk to you, see if it would be uh, something we could make a clip with and uh, have these, uh, because I'm getting a lot of people saying they're really enjoying these UFO incidents, you know, on the clips uh, in between the show. So we can, I think we can roll right into that. Hopefully Bill We'll be ready over there. And when we come back, I'd like to talk about more of where you think the UFO community is headed. And uh, with the information we have, you know, from the government, uh, what, how they're taking this more seriously, the path forward, et cetera, et cetera. We'll, we'll make it up as we go, uh, like we usually do, Dean. All right. Perfect. All right. <laughs> so hang in there, everyone, over at KGRA Radio. We'll be right back. It's about a five-minute break. And here is Denise. She had a uh, cigar-shaped UFO sighting back in 1973. Here we go. So Denise, it's been nice meeting you here um, at the boot camp, the MUFON boot camp. But I want to hear about your UFO sighting you had in 1973. In 1973, yes. I was 14 years old, and this occurred in upstate New York. Um, in a town called Greece, uh, and it occurred at the end of the summer towards uh, the beginning of the school year, probably the end of August, beginning of September, and I was riding my bicycle with my girlfriend from my house to her house, and it was twilight or approaching twilight, and as we came up to a path that cut through the back of the high school and through the, like, the uh, football field, I felt compelled to look to my right. And to my right, there were a, um, a bank of trees. And I saw a very large craft rise from behind the trees and almost right about tree top level. It was quiet. It, there was like no perturbation of the of the air or anything it was just like silent and it came over the trees and started moving in our direction and she and I um, got off our bikes and leaned them up against the uh, the bleachers and the craft came towards us and very very close I can't tell how many feet but it was just a little bit above the bleachers um, and I can describe the craft to you. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. There were some symbols on the bottom of it. The um, the central part of the body was like cigar shaped, and there were three 
appendages coming out from one side and from the other. And they ran parallel to each other. And there were lights at the end of each of those appendages. Wow. Um, the craft was very large, as large as the football field, if maybe not even bigger. And so there were these symbols on the bottom that looked like they um, they they kind of uh, looked like hieroglyphics or maybe Russian letters. Hmm. Um, but I was 14, so my interpretation yeah. of what I was seeing was limited based on that because I don't really have any true recollection of what they look like now. I just remember what my impression was then. Um, so the next thing I know, she and I... Um, we're standing there, and next thing I know, it's uh, dark. Uh, not too much later. couldn't have been too much later because we both had a curfew. It, oh, okay, let me ask you this. Did you, did you remember seeing it leave, and then, or, or was it just all of a sudden it was dark? Well, we, it was dark, and the craft was still there. And we were standing there looking up at it. And from our vantage point, it, we could see these these windows look like windows, um, square shaped, and there was like an amber glow to them coming from the inside. And I could see silhouettes of occupants. Did it? Did they look humanoid in a way? Would you say, or larger heads? I mean, I don't want to lead you by saying the larger heads things, but did they look like normal size? Heads and humanoid? It's very hard for me to tell. Yeah, at this it, you point, know, at this point, that was a right, long time ago. Right. I can just tell you what my impressions were at the moment. Yeah. And there were no details. It was just a black silhouette. And there was I, movement. You could tell that they were moving. And then, um, yeah, and the ship silently just drifted towards our left, I don't know what direction that was. And uh, she and I got on our bikes and we rode to her house. And when we got to her neighborhood, uh, there were a lot of people standing on their driveways, looking at the lights and mm. talking about it. Um, she and I never spoke of it again. Really? And I've I, heard that so many times. I ran into her about, I don't know, a few years ago at, at the gym and asked her about it and she refused to discuss it. Did she seem scared? Uh, the shades went down. She was like, I don't want to talk about that. Wow. All right. Thank you so much. That was very interesting. Welcome back, everyone. My guest uh, looks like he's away from his desk. I don't know if he had his timer on. But we have Dean Alioto. Uh, I'm looking at an empty chair. <laughs> he shall be back. But uh, again, I am looking. Here he is. I am looking for uh, people that had a UFO sighting like Denise and would like to talk about it. And also I had a woman named uh, Deb on, I don't know, maybe a month and month and a half ago that talked about her schoolyard sighting. At some point I'm going to release her original video and I'll let people know when I do that. I had her on as a guest kind of at the last minute, but I do have a original video. The first time she told the story, a uh, very interesting story and welcome back team. Sorry, I had to call Denise and and uh, open up my documentary and put in this new interview. This is how it happens. Every time <laughs> I think I'm done, they pull you back. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a, a strange encounter. And I don't know if you caught this, but she said on the three appendages 
on each side, they had lights at the end of them. Here we are, lights again. Back with lights. It's interesting because you were asking her, um, and that would be very hard to hold up in a court because you were leading the witness, sir. Um, she was reticent to say what it is. And usually when people really want to, you know, come out and, and grandstand about something and, and make more of something that maybe is, you know, what it was or, or even if it existed, they don't do that. She was, you know, very uh, uh, shy about doing that. I always look, you know, towards that if it's someone who's, you know, freely throwing down and, and gets into it and can be led. She was not. She just told you these are the facts. This is what I remember. And, um, yeah, you know, again, it's it's you know, it's this personal thing that she's held on to. Right. And, you know, it's it's it, it is, a, you know, she was a person that. I sort of had to talk into telling her story. She had told her story to, to my friend Donna that was out there with me. And uh, she was reluctant to talk about it. So, you know, she told, she had told Donna, but uh, had not told me at that point. I mean, she would not, she was not real excited about telling the story. And again, that's another thing, you know, I mean, that makes you wonder about, you know, there's so many of these, these stories. I don't know if this has happened to you, but when you're out and about and you may have a conversation with someone in public, does it ever come up? Do you say, well, I'm actually doing a film, uh, a, a series on UFOs. Do you ever say that in public? And then people will say to you, oh, well, you should hear what happened to my uncle or something like that. Does that happen to you? All the time. I'll say, um, can I have my bacon on the side? Have you ever seen a UFO? No? Okay. <laughs> just a check. Just a check. Um, I'm... You know, if it seems like it's it, it makes sense. I, I shot at this location um, a couple of weeks ago, and this guy that I was filming at had a UFO coffee table book. And I said, oh, you're into UFOs, huh? And he goes, yeah, why? And he looked at me like, <laughs> you know, what do you know about UFOs? You know, it's kind of like, well, I know the secret handshake. You ready for this? Um, and so um, he was telling me about his, um, you know, what, what he had known. He shared the story with me. Um, that I'm hoping to get more information on. Um, but uh, it's, you know, they're out there and it doesn't take, you know, much. I mean, if you look at the the odds of, you know, what the Gallup polls were and everything of how many people have seen things, you know, it's a lot. You're on a plane. Imagine you get on a plane and there is a certain percentage of people that have seen something. That's nuts. Right yeah. there. That's nuts. And it's kind of like this weird taboo thing. Like, you know, you can't talk about... Uh, you know, um, you know, you can't talk about, uh, uh, I'm just going to say it's sex. Like you can't openly talk about it, but you know, there are people that are doing that. And so, you know, it's like, it's, it's something that's a part of it. It's almost like a part of society where it's like, this is an aspect of, of, of experience that comes with being a human. And this isn't the only generation that has experienced that. So again, you know, when are we going to get to a place where we stop doing that? You know, I, it's, it's, you know, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing about the government saying, you know, let's um, discredit these people. Let's, you know, ridicule them to the point that no one wants to come out because we were getting too many calls and we're tying up the government's lines during that, that point. Not that that isn't true, but certainly that was, you know, 70 years ago, it's a different, you know, case yeah. now. And so, yeah, the 1953, Robertson panel was basically yeah. 
just that. For those of you that are new, you can Google that and check that out. But um, yeah, it's, it's, and you know, I don't know if you ever caught this clip with, it's, uh, it was about John Mack when he was having all that trouble with Harvard. And I think it was, uh, it was some known figure. I can't think of who was a, uh, a law professor there at Harvard that says, sure, well, we can all talk about, you know, about angels and, you know, that's okay to, to believe in angels. Dr. Roman. But you certainly can't believe about aliens, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, which I think is a good point. Yeah. And there's more evidence to support aliens than there are angels. You know, yeah. how many times have angels left, I guess the stigmata, as you could say that, but have left marks, little scoop marks and stuff, um, you know, not many that I'm aware of. Yeah. You know, and then what is an angel? I mean, as Diana Pasolka has, has, you know, done in her research, uh, was it um, uh, um, Sister um, Avalon, Mary, St. Mary of Avalon, who said that. She had this experience. She thinks it's an angel. Doesn't look like one, and it ended up probing her with this wand. What what angels probe? Hmm. That's, well, maybe they're out there. Rogue yeah. rogue aliens. Yeah. Well, we can do a survey on that if you'd like. Sure. What angels probe? <laughs> but anyway, yeah. No, that's that's interesting because you know, I mean, you you go back throughout time and the the lore. There was always something, you know, and is it all fictional, you know, whether it's the elves or leprechauns, leprechauns or, you know, uh, but, you know, who knows what it is exactly that people claim to have seen all the way, you know, all the way back then. And then there's the Bigfoot aspect. There's all ghosts. There's all, you know, I, I don't really want to lump UFOs in to what I consider the paranormal realm. Um, because there's so much, you know, evidence out there that these things are happening. The the question, I remember Sam Moranto used to get really upset when he was asked, oh, so you, you believe in UFOs? He said, there's nothing to believe in. They're here. The, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the evidence is all around us. So, yeah. Um, I'm, again, it, 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 it's kind of like, uh, uh, again, you're tugging at the thread of where our beliefs are at this time and, and you know, and you test the metal of them as much as I don't want to conflate uh, Bigfoot in with all this stuff and, and just want to believe that it's probably just a bear on its hind legs, which they do that all the time. Um, there's too much weirdness around that. Um, my rabbit hole that I'm working in is the UFO alien one, which includes the Bermuda Triangle and everything else. But where I'm looking down, I'm focusing on that. I haven't broadened it into that yet. So, you know, I think there's an argument that if you're going to get into paranormal, you have to throw in, you know, uh, something that appears and disappears in your room at will. I think that kind of falls under what is normal. And again, it depends what your definition of normal is. If your definition is, oh, that's normal, you know, seeing spirits, you know, then that's normal. I mean, geez, if you go to Louisiana and you want to sell your home, you better have a spirit, a history of spirits in there because that, that helps increase the value from what I hear from my buddies. Yeah. Yeah. They love that stuff. So, um, but can you imagine saying that, uh, 
Oh yeah, we've been abducted several times in this house. That back room there. Yeah, I used to come get my kids. Go right through that. You know. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, here's another hundred thousand. Uh, it doesn't work that way with with that. Ghosts yeah. are more acceptable. There seem to be more divine than you know ones that come in and and you know do their thing, turn off your spouse and everything. I have a uh, a friend that does real estate, and I was doing an auction at a home took all the antiques out of it. And the family came in from out of town and they were looking for a real estate agent. So I hooked them up with my friend. He sold their property. He called me, I don't know, maybe six months later. And he said, did you know that house was haunted? <laughs> and I said, no, uh, what happened? And the, I was dealing with the woman. They built that, it on the gravestones. Yeah. She was in her nineties nice. and a wonderful <laughs> woman. And there was some friction in the family and she wanted her family to have all the pieces to save that were family pieces for generations. And they came in and they told me, sell everything. I said, well, you know, your, you know, your grandmother really wanted these to stay in the family. They said, sell it all. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to say that's the reason that things were happening, but the people that bought the house said all the furniture kept rearranging in the attic. They could hear it scraping on the floor and they'd run up and it would be in different places. Um, so, but in the state of, I know we're way off the track of UFOs, but in the state of New Hampshire, if the real estate agent knows something ahead of time that there's things going on in the house, he's supposed to put it in the contract. Disclosure. Disclosure. Yes. That's called disclosure. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I don't know how that's in other states, but that's, that's pretty strange about the spirit in, uh. Yeah. Louisiana, wherever you said. Interesting. But yeah. um, so you were at the conference, I want to say, was it 2018? 18 so this, and then again in 19. Yeah. So this is post post uh, the 2017 article that came out December 16th. I yeah, I got there in March, the end of March of that following year. So literally within months of that announcement coming out. I had planned to come out before that happened. And so it was still, you know, the scuttlebutt when I came and did your podcast. Yeah. Um, we had Stan Friedman sitting directly across from me. And then we had, um, uh, geez, we had uh, Stephen Bassett. Oh, you talked about Nick the whole Pope. group. We did the round robin. Yeah, that was yeah. the last. Yeah, the yeah. round robin. And so we were yeah. all, you know, talking about that. And, um, and I think To The Stars Academy had just been kind of announced. I think that was the big, the other big news uh, thing that was right. going down. So you actually came into back, I should say, back into this to look at it seriously on a different level than we've seen for years. Um, you know, because it was just taboo, more or less. And so my question to you, have you seen a change since you started digging back into this? Have you seen a change in the state of ufology overall? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that's always going to be changing with any field, right? Mm. Even if it's, you know, hunting meteors, meteorites. Um, for me, it was something that I'd been kind of, you know, adjacent to the phenomenon. I would dip in and dip out. You know, I'd always listen to uh, Coast to Coast and Art Bell and stuff like that and uh, George Knapp, um, et cetera. And, uh, and so I kind of got to a place where, because I had made this, this movie, which 
I didn't think was very good. Um, in fact, I remember going to the, the screening that we had, the two screens, especially the one that was at Fantastic Fest, and it was a sold-out um, audience. And I said to my girlfriend, Allie, I said, get us get us an, uh, a seat on the aisle because this could go bad because I hadn't seen it in so many years. And then I, I watched it and realized that it wasn't um, just kind of fun and, 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 and paced somewhat well. It was also a timestamp of the 80s. And so this whole new audience was all over it because it was this analog vibe, you know, shot on videotape and um, not digital. And so um, it ended up, you know, um, having this uh, kind of this time capsule type thing that, um, you know, seemed to age well. I'm not sure that any of my other projects uh, uh, did, but I've worked in all different genres. And the one genre that I kept coming back to again and again, even with the remake that I did for UPN, was um, Aliens and UFOs. And then when I went, or just before, when I started to you know, put together my, uh, my lecture that I'd be giving at International UFO Congress, I realized that a third of my IP was all UFO alien related and realized that it's kind of always been there. And I'd read the books and they would come out. I think I went through a period where the last book I had read was John Max. Uh, abduction or passport maybe it was maybe that was the last one or maybe it was one of um uh, david jacobs but i remember that was it where i kind of hit the wall and went okay i need to take a little break and so it's been kind of a bit of this and that and from 2017 on i've i've kept one foot in the rabbit hole and and what i've seen is that there's a whole new generation coming up and i keep waiting for them to step in the bear trap you know, where they're going to believe everything and say, oh, this and that, but they're not. Um, I have a section in my documentary where we look at the new, the new, you know, UFO researchers. And these were some of the most grounded people. You know, they're coming at this with, with um, an attitude that's kind of similar with what I was saying earlier, which is, you know, show me the money. You know, prove, prove your, uh, your, um, your commitment to me, the, the, you know, your, the, the truth. Uh, prove to me the commitment to the truth. And then I can go there. Then we have something to, to sit and talk about. And so that was really refreshing. So I'm very, very encouraged with that. Whereas before it was just kind of like, I think everything just got lumped in. And now people are doing more a la carte. I would say that's the biggest thing that I noticed where it's like, I like this, this resonates with me and this doesn't. Um, so that's, you know, first and foremost, the thing that I'm, that I'm encouraged by. Um, what I'm not encouraged by is um, anyone saying they have all the answers? Uh, they don't. Uh, and, you know, be yeah. wary of the person who does. That right. to me is, uh, yeah. is you know, that's a, that's a sign. That's, a, you know, a, a sign that um, someone is coming at this from maybe, you know, more of an ego place than, than a truthful thing. Because, um, you know, as a filmmaker, I don't know everything. I've made, you know, how many films and stuff and projects I'm still learning. And I always want to be a student that way I have room to grow. Otherwise there's nothing to learn or, you know, whatever. But, you know, these people that came out, the one thing that's kind of disturbing is these people who came out and they, they hijack people and their beliefs like the Benowitz case. And they get, you know, lauded these people that have done that. I don't understand that. I know I won't get into it because I forgot who it was on your show, Last week, already threw down. Yeah, I was uh, Chris Lambright talking about the Paul Benowitz case, 
And yeah. Chris will be on sometime in January. Okay. Oh, and speaking um, of that, I should probably bring this up real quickly and we'll jump right back on that. Is that sure. uh, I just received uh, from uh, from Lou Elizondo's wife that he has to do a media blackout. He was coming up in a couple of weeks. He has to do a media blackout until March. So he'll, he said that uh, I'll be, this will be one of the first podcasts um, or if not the first, first podcast he'll be on, you know, apologetically uh, have to, have to bow out for December 14th. So I just wanted to bring that back, but, but continue on. Well, I didn't get that email. So um, <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. Yeah. And I, you know, know his wife as well. So whatever. Jennifer, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So that's kind of a little bit of a bump that, you know, um, how people get made into, you know, again, it's, a, it's extending that 15 minutes of fame. Um, I've not done another uh, UFO convention since I started my documentary. Right. Not a one. Yes. Because you were um, I don't have anything to, to say. You were invited yeah. to. Yeah. And I begged to be on just so I could say, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> just so I can make my point. Um, because I have nothing new to say. You yeah. know, which is why, you know, we talked about kind of my history with the found footage stuff. Um, sorry for those who've already seen that. Um, I always want to bring something new to the table because every time you speak, you know, have something new to say. It's an opportunity and and shed light where it needs to be shed. So yeah. anyway, yeah. um yeah. 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 And you know, I I, I had this uh someone contacted me uh recently and they asked me, what are the best UFO videos? to watch. And I don't know at this point in the correspondence, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I get a lot of email. I try to answer every single one of them when I can. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if this person's looking for, I want to go on YouTube and see a video clip of a UFO, or they want to watch something like the phenomenon out of the blue, something like that. Those are all really solid videos, uh, that are out there for consumption. Um, and I, I can also think, think of three right off the top. Yeah. And I also think that Ross Colhart's, uh, Colhart's, uh, one for, uh, channel seven that's up on the internet with millions of views. That's a really good one, uh, that came out, I don't know, just what, two months ago, something like that. Mm-hmm. And he, last week it was announced that he's, he's coming out with something else. I don't, I don't know if you know anything about that. You wanted to look into it. I don't know if you had a chance. Did you? Yeah, no, I have to reach out to to uh, uh, Ross and see what's going. But um, supposedly, I only know this because one of your guests said that, or you brought it up, that that he was getting ready to throw down on something. So I'm curious what that is. Yeah, it was actually someone in the chat room. And I I think I'm going to open up the phone lines, you know, 10 minutes early, and hopefully Bill will hear that. But we're going to open the phone lines now. So if anyone would like to call in, that number's up on the screen. It's 855-472-5483. I guess the topic of the night, (laughs) the topic of the night is basically, uh, you know, the state of the union of ufology. I guess we'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So when you looked at this before, obviously you did, you did overall, you looked at this back when you were, you had to create that movie back in 1989. You had to look into it a little bit then. That's prior internet, prior to ways of researching. Um, was it, did you look into books to try to figure out how you're going to make this abduction movie? Yeah, there was this thing. It looks very similar 
to this, which is what I'm going to start reading. Um, and uh, it's a book. They call these books, and they have pages. Oh, and there's, there's a thing called a library? I heard about a that. A library? Does that yeah. still exist? Okay. Or is it library? Um, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know where you put the accent. Library or li library? Um, there was, it was funny, when I was selling my swag, my videos at uh, the conference, people would come up, a certain percentage of them would come up and say, do you have any books? And I would say, no, but I have something better. I have this. And I realized that that was the wrong answer because books allow you to take it in and to not have a music score telling you how to feel. You can just disseminate, you know, as you want. So yeah. um, big fan of books. But I did. I threw down on a whole bunch of books, um, you know, even Roswell uh, books at the time and everything. Um, and so all of those were, you know, again, communion scared the shit out of me. Excuse my French, but it really terrified me um, because it was it was well written and it was it was, you know, as we say, played straight. And what he was describing, there was just something that, you know, uh, uh, resonated with its authenticity. And so um, it was, you know, it was a, a big influence. And of course, Spielberg was my first, you know, influence that and In Search Of, that series In Search Of was always my favorite. Yeah, so before I got in, yeah. Yeah. yeah, before I got into actually making content, alien content, um, I would dip in and out, dip in and out. And then I found that around uh, the 2000s, I went, you know, again, almost full rabbit hole and have been in there and find it endlessly fascinating. and. You know, I'm I have some theories and some ideas on where the you know, where the um, the research and the phenomenon is heading to. OK, well, we'll we'll touch on that. We have a caller. But we'll touch on that. Just remember that. We'll get back to it. Jeff is on the line from Indiana. Jeff, you're live on the air. Welcome to the show. Yeah, good evening. Good evening. Good evening, Jeff. Yeah, I can barely hear you. Um, um, I just want to say uh, I'm not very. I'm a very good speaker, and I'm usually not very prepared on something like this, but I'm a first-hand experiencer, very close-range, broad daylight. I've called him before. Martin probably knows who I am. I sent him a picture here a while back of some stills I've taken of him. I can see them periodically at will. My wife can also, and uh, which proves absolutely nothing unless, like, you've, I've seen it stated a good term is if you can kick the tires on one, we're not going to learn anything. But uh, we had like, you know, 40 feet from our face uh, experience of, of uh, these things moving over us. And uh, it was out of the blue. Uh, we were 60 some years old when it happened. I was always interested in it, but we never ever saw anything. And um, uh, the first thing that happens in your mind is it's racing to try to figure out what you're looking at. And you have nothing in your arsenal, in your mind, to describe what you're looking at because it is so strange. Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely mind-blowingly strange. It almost gives you a feeling of divinity, like that's something God would ride in, you know. And um, I was not afraid. We were not afraid. It was like I was just ecstatic. I said, look, we, these things are real. Uh, we're witnessing it. You know, my wife was standing out of the side of the car in a ditch and I was standing almost on the road because we pulled over to see them. 
And we're watching two in tandem go uh, away. And then the, the fellow lived right there, came up there, and I grew up with, and I pointed them out to him. And, you know, they're only 40 feet off the ground, and they're moving about 15 miles an hour. And they're this brilliant orange pulsating to red, almost like a heartbeat. Orange to red, like this red light would... And then a few minutes later, a, a single came from behind us. And then a few minutes after that, another single one came from behind us. They were all four identical. And I got the feeling, I told my wife, I said, those two that just came over us were watching us watch the first two. That's the feeling I had. Like they were watching our reaction. But um, hmm. I researched this. happened in 2012. I researched this. Uh, MUFON came out. Uh, they wanted me to become a field investigator. I refused. Uh, because, you know, I don't know if I, most people don't know this. The majority of MUFON's field investigators have never seen a UFO. They're operating strictly on faith. So they like guys like me that have seen them daylight. We know they're real. I've had uh, uh, conversations with Jan Harzan. He had the same experience with his brother, daylight sighting like this, very close. And, um, but I didn't want to, I just didn't want to, I thought it was being more commercialized. And I was dead serious about this because I saw this. And I don't know if it's disturbing. I don't think you're going to, I don't care if the government came out on every night at five o'clock and said, they're real, they're real, they're real. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, you're still not going to, if you're trying to attain the unattainable, we're cavemen trying to figure out God, more or less. They might as well be God because that's how advanced they are, I presume. And really, are we seeing what they are? Or are they projecting in our mind what we want them to see? Are they creating the whole scenario right before our eyes? Uh, it's it's just so bizarre. And yes, Martin, I believe it should be classified in the paranormal because it's definitely not normal. And um, uh, there's always things I want to say, and my mind goes blank on this. But uh, well, it, it doesn't matter that people don't believe. Yeah. Uh, you all can right, well, believe. Um, do you believe? No. Do you believe? So we all believe. It still doesn't matter. It doesn't tell us what they are. Right. So, um, Jeff, Jeff? Yes. So I have to respectfully disagree with you with, on, on two things. Number one is uh, you are a very eloquent speaker. You, you, I was there. You visually created it for me there, 40 feet moving silently. So uh, don't worry about uh, you articulating yourself. That was uh, I, I, I totally get it. Uh, second thing is, you know, I said the same thing to, to Yvonne Smith after I'd gone to her experiencer group. And it was really funny because I showed up there and all of them said to me that I looked really familiar and they were messing with me. I think they were messing with me, uh, like they've seen me on the ship or something before. And so I said to Yvonne, I said, why am I compelled? I'm literally, like last April, I turned down a feature film during the pandemic to shoot a feature film. It was a multi-million dollar budget, the whole thing. And I turned it down because I had to finish this documentary, I was afraid that I wasn't going to finish it if I if I paused. And so I said, why am I so compelled? I've never been so compelled on any other project that I've I've done before. I don't I don't understand what's going on. And she looked at me, laughed and said, 
And I said, you know, and I don't get because I'm not an experiencer. I haven't seen anything that I can quantify as, you know, what is this, uh, you know, object that I've not seen before. And she laughed and said, Dean, they don't have to knock on your door in order to influence you. And so because, you know, Spielberg's never seen a UFO either, but he sure as hell knows how to make movies about it. And same with Kubrick. So uh, my feeling is that you do want people like John Mack um, who are investigating this because they're going to be uh, applying a certain non-projected uh, regimen to, to understanding this, that someone who has had an experience, uh, although that is very valuable in the field, uh, might not have. It's like a detective doesn't have to be you know, uh, shot at, et cetera, to go and investigate a crime scene, right? So um, I would just say, leave a little room for those people of us out here that are trying desperately to, to understand this. Um, you know, even if it's to get as close as we can to having our own experience. But, um, you know, everyone's trying to find answers. At the end of the day, you know, the answer doesn't work, care where it came from, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jeff, you, uh, I think we're, we're having a lot of phone noise here. So, uh, but anyway, I do appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. All right. All right. So next on the line, we have uh, Ken calling from L.A. Ken. You're live on the show. Uh, yeah, uh, I just want to say that I, I've been following this UFO thing for like uh, over 40 years. And I have heard so many uh, reports of UFOs um, happening on this planet. I've heard about so many reports of um, underwater USOs being seen. And I've also heard reports of UFOs coming in and out of the oceans. So it's kind of obvious to me that there must be some advanced civilizations that live in our oceans. You know, and there was also the story of Admiral Byrd going to the Antarctic and, you know, encountering this other uh, civilization that they actually had a battle with. And I don't think that story is fake. But, um, yeah, and then, you know, our, our Navy has admitted that they encounter UFOs every single day. So, again, it's kind of obvious to me that we're not alone on this planet. Um, they ha it hasn't been every single day. It's been, it, I think it skips every few days. No, it's, if you talk to the people who are involved in the Nimitz, they say that they had seen this before. Some people had the week before that that was showing up. Um, but Ken, absolutely. I, I, I think there's more evidence. And if I was going to point my cameras in, in a direction, it would be the oceans. Um, I, I think that there have been so many sightings going in and everyone assumes that they're from another planet because you look up and you see them as they're, you know, flying above the, uh, the landscape. But it, it could equally, equally as easily be coming from the oceans and stuff. And the way that they go in where it looks like the water kind of moves around them with this field that they've created, anti-gravitational field or, um, or some other uh, means. So, um, you know, and the fact of the matter is we know more about space than we know about our oceans. So there already is life there, life that we don't even know exists. So um, the fact that there could be something even beyond that, uh, you know, I, I would say that we shouldn't be surprised by that. Well, I, I also, along those lines, Dean, you have to think, uh, okay, if so, they are living under there. Here I am. I'm thinking of this again. As uh, anthropomorphic, what am I trying to say? Human-like <laughs> thoughts is what would they be doing there? They can't be going around like 
you know, swimming around under there or have any environment. Don't make me sing. Don't make me sing the theme to Disney's. I know the Little, little Mermaid. mermaid. You're going to make the me Little do Mermaid that. under yeah. the sea. Under yeah. the sea. Yeah. That's all I have to say. But no, uh, but it just you know what type of environment could they have under the ocean? You know, I mean that's another speculative uh, question. Well, or it could be that they go through there and they're going into their own dimension, and it's just the you know the way that they're traveling that it is an actual physical. See, again, we have to kind of say, all right, we think it could be this physical thing, but does it have to be? What if it's something else that it's not a physical place? It's it's a if you were a portal. Yeah, um, I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of the wormhole stuff. Not, not that I'm discounting it. I'm just saying that just seems so volatile. It seems like there's got to be other ways to to travel than, you know, I think the way that they're doing this is so easy that, you know, when I hear about folding time and stuff, you know, certainly that that factors into it. But, you know, when I hear, well, we should be able to go four light years away. And if we have the right technology, we could do that in eight years. That's too long whatever they're doing, it's instantaneous. And I think every planet maybe has its own different frequencies that they're tuning in. Why not? We know that the Higgs uh, Collider, they've found 11 dimensions so far. So, you know, we're at the precipice of understanding what we don't understand, what we don't know. That's right. Bill, Bill commented, he just sent a chat to me, the ocean may be a barrier to keep us out of reach. And for all we know, they can have underground bases underwater. Which is, you know, I mean, it, crazy as it sounds, it's it's possible. You get down just a short way down there, and it's black. You know, there's okay, a, right. But let me ask you this: sunlight. How many times? Uh, I, I'm curious. How many times have the the projected warnings that the aliens imparted telepathically to these experiences? Have they talked about the oceans as well? So, if I'm living there specifically, I'm living actually. That would be the first thing I would say: is Hey, really? You need to throw your plastic bag in the ocean, the straws. It's mostly above land. They do include it. I know they do. But uh, I would hit that one pretty hard if I was physically living, you know, under there. I wonder if it's uh, if they eat sushi. I wonder if that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But again, why are they going out and coming back? Where are they going? That's why I'm so disturbed when I hear these critics, you know, uh, talk about – you know, like um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, they're just if you see them, they're, they're flying. If they exist, fine. They're flying everything. It's like, really, you're going to appear here and you're not going to pull over. Maybe you're not going to hit In-N-Out Burger, but, you know, you might pull over, stretch out for a little bit, check something. You know, you're not just going to fly through. And if it's a drone, why does it need to be 40 feet long? We have drones right now that are the size of you know flies. Right. That's right. Um, I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson recently say, why is it only the military that sees these things? And, um, you know, I mean, what a statement. You're not paying attention, Neil. Yeah. For the past 70 years. (laughs) Right. Um, Let's see. Do we still have, is it Ken? Are you still there, Ken? I think Ken is gone. So the line is open and that's 855-472-5483. Are you welcome to uh, throw us a, a question? Adina question, but yeah, you know, the, the, the moving between, you know, the different mediums is uh, fascinating to me because first of all, you know, I know I brought this up many times and, uh, but why isn't there a sonic boom and why aren't there splashes in the water? You know, when these things seem to go down into the water 
and and uh, you know Mark D'Antonio was on board where a submarine where a vehicle was traveling at several hundred knots. You know, how can something move through the water at that type of speed? This is going back 20 years. You know, it makes you really wonder how if if we are being visited by whatever, what are they and how can they do the things they're doing? Yeah, again, I think that we have to just look at the simple fact. And if you want to call Occam's, Occam's razor or whatever you want to call it, if we had that technology, are we not doing the same thing? Are we not going out to other civilizations? and doing, you know, exploratory uh, missions. Of course, of course we would be doing that. We would check out life as it exists. And and so it just, it, it makes sense if we can even just project to our limited scope of understanding how life is, that we would do that. Of course, some advanced civilization, you know, would do that. It, it just makes total sense. And the, the irony is p- smart people like, you know, um, Stephen Hawking, you know, he's like, we never should have sent out Voyager. That was a mistake because, you know, look at our civilization, what we do. Well, as even Seth Sostak will say, that's, you know, what we've done to our own. But it's not species to species, right? But we've already sent out the signal that we had nothing to do with. And it happened, you know, uh, billions of years ago when we had an atmosphere that had oxygen. Yeah, That's a visual stamp. That's, that's, that's right. you know, identifiable. And when the James Webb launches, it's been delayed, yes. but it comes out December 22nd. My hope is that we see something like that. That to me is the smoking gun. If you really want a smoking gun, it's it's not grabbing them down and, and you know, a ship crashing, which just, can we take a moment for that? Ship crashes. I need to understand, help me understand how a ship crashes and the government's uh, you know, on-site task force gets there ahead of them sending out a signal to their ship when they can travel so fast. I don't understand that. Um, it makes sense that, you know, things do crash. You know, I have a car. It's, you know, uh, it's pretty stable, but occasionally I got to get the windshield wipers and, you know, s- stuff yeah. happens. But um, I feel like if that had happened throughout history, there would be someone some indigenous people that would be cooking this big walk that would be a shell of a UFO and be like, Hey, this is their communal thing that we do and it'd be repurposed or something. So, um, barring that (laughs) happening, which I would love to see a crash craft. And I'm not saying that that hasn't happened. It's just, I just need to get that over that thing. Um, I think the smoking gun is us finding another civilization ourselves and seeing that. And yeah, you know, I think that's ideal. Yeah. James Webb, We'll have 100, 100 times the capacity of the Hubble. So, you know, maybe we will see those life signals out there. It sure will be an exciting time once that's up. We have someone on the line, Nicole in uh, Washington. Nicole, you're live on the air. Hello, Nicole. Nicole in Washington, can you hear me? Oh, you know, it may be. I'm sorry, Nicole. Try again. You there, Can Nicole? You yes. It's that, Nicole. Hi there. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nicole. Hi. Thank you, Martin. You have a wonderful show. Thank you for all your work. Well, thank you. And my question is about whether you feel that the high incidence of sightings around nuclear installations and weaponry could be not as much that they are interested in those sites for 
the idea of us, you know, having the ability to destroy ourselves, but that the existence of the nuclear matter assists in some way for them to be able to come through, however they're doing that, that somehow that expressed sort of level of decreased randomness that's created by those nuclear um, existence of the nuclear material might in some way affect that uh, process. That's really interesting. That's awesome. I love that. I haven't heard that one before. Congratulations. That's like the first new theory I've heard in a couple of years. Um, uh, it's, it's interesting because if you talk to the people um, who researched this, um, they'll tell you that they'll tell you that the people who discovered created the rockets for for what became the U.S. Uh, space program and the Russian space program both believe that extraterrestrials gave them that technology. So if they gave them that technology, is there a chance that 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 might have also been imparted with Oppenheimer? I mean, it's a dark, you know, version or dark question, but. Um, uh, so you're saying that maybe it's not literally like Nicole that they literally punched a hole through where they created a, a vortex for them to go through because of the nuclear um, uh, fallout or the nuclear blast itself, and then they came through that because we've had reports no, of UFOs not, way before then. No, 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 not the actual blast, not anything to do with the actual detonation, but in general, it seems like sites that are not actually, you know, detonating any of this nuclear material have so much of a higher incidence, like all of the sites in, you know, the, all of the areas where we have silos, up, you know, Montana and, and North Dakota and all of those um, incidents up there, that it's purely the fact that that, that, that uh, enormous amount of nuclear um, product up there somehow changes how, they're able to access whatever whatever way they come through to us might have something to do with what I think might be like a decrease in the randomness of that area, which I think you could possibly extrapolate to some other ideas of why certain areas have higher incidence than other areas, that there might be things such as like high iron containing areas. Um, I don't know that, you know, there's been a lot of of research on actually like nuclear producing energy um, as far as reactors, but I think that would be a really interesting area for research to find out whether there's higher incidence in areas that have um, have reactors. I I live that are manufacturing it. Um, Twenty miles from Three Mile Island when it exploded or had its incident. So it's just, um, and I did have a, I did have an occurrence as a child um, of what I believe to be a, a UFO, and so I just was interested in that as an idea. I don't know if anybody's really looked into it. Thank you. Well, yeah. thank you for the call. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of, you know, the Chernobyl. They were saying they thought they saw UFOs over um, before the sarcophagus was built. Uh, you know, right after the the meltdown, they were saying there were a lot of people claiming that they were seeing UFOs there. I don't know if you ever heard that. No. Well, that's that's exactly the point that I was, you know, feeling like that might be sort of multiple different strains of the same um, 
the same reason, but yet it, it shows up in different ways, like the Chernobyl having an incident and then also just like our northern tier of, of military silos. Um, my father was based in Minot, North Dakota. He's an Air Force officer. And, you know, I think that a lot of those incidents might be more related than we think they are. And I think that it might be something where people have sort of put on a causation of thinking that they're looking at our, our military nuclear sites because of specifically looking at them as weapons, and that is their reasoning. But I think it might have something much more fundamental to do with how they actually need some sort of, um, I wouldn't say weakness, but some sort of opening, some way for them to come to come through to us. Well, how, how do you um, factor in, I'm curious, how do you factor in, um, and I guess Fukushima, we should probably see if there were sightings there when that whole meltdown um, happened. But how do you factor in that a lot of these sites um, are given demonstrations? They're not just kind of appearing and hanging out. Um, there have been reports from credible uh, people that worked at these bases where these missiles have gone up and they've had the cones where they've got dummies. They don't actually, they're not, you know, uh, 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 equipped with any warheads. They're just doing an exercise and they go up and these, um, these uh, uh, rockets have been hit with supposedly beams of light that kind of, you know, these ships, will, these crafts, these UFO UAPs will move around them as that's happening, kind of like a demonstration. And then there's also the shutting down. So it seems like for me, I've always thought this, this is just my, my take on it. I've always thought that it was a demonstration to say, just be aware that we can shut this down at any time. We can, we control this, not, not you. I think that's a very valid theory. And I think that that could well, you know, be the case. I think you could also look at it from the other side. If it was this idea that they had more ability to interact with that kind of material, then it might just be that that's something that they're able to do because of the nuclear um, sort of that decreased randomness, randomness in the area that they can then how, somehow, you know, interact with it better so that they're able to affect something that maybe they couldn't actually affect otherwise if there wasn't the um, sort of nuclear matter in that, in that region. I mean, I think there is always a possibility that it's multiple things, you know, that, that it's, it's both what you're saying and also that, um, that it somehow affects how they traverse from wherever they're coming, whether that's, as you say, you yeah. know, there's, a, there's a lot of us researchers who like to say it's all the above and none of the above. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Well, your time, but thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you very much. That was a great call. Appreciate it. All right. So, you know, while she was speaking, I went ahead and Googled, you know, Fukushima and UFOs. And sure enough, yes, there was uh, orbs, five orbs spotted above the Fukushima. So whether that's related in any type of way or whether they were earthquake lights, which is a phenomenon that does happen. This was talking about during the, you know, right after the earthquake. So it could have been and, just that, but it's fascinating. Interesting. I wonder, I wonder if, if they appear not only in moments of crisis, but if they appear like at the thriller in Manila when Muhammad Ali was having his big fight, if they weren't there for that big event, because that, you know, kind of a, a big event or is it yeah. just 
you know, crisis moments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it is fascinating this. And, you know, like my friend says, uh, a friend that I've been speaking to about this, you know, why isn't, you know, when the government is taking a look at this, that seems to me or seems to a lot of people that are looking into this, why isn't the nuclear warhead shutdowns like a major issue of national security that's not being taken totally seriously and investigated? Because I think they are. And I, and I and I would never, if I'm running that that operation, I'm not going to advertise at all. Again, as much as I like to put myself in the aliens perspective, I also like to put it in the military or those who are in the knowings perspective. You're not going to come out and say, look, we can't guarantee that it's someone else. I mean, if you look at the Fravor situation, it was benign. They flew around and took off. Nice little, you know, yeah. kind of aerobatics, right? So um, I think with with this it's it's breaching. It's an act of war, an out and out act of war. And if you can't assign that to anything, I think just coming out, I mean, that would be the next level of, again, I hate to use that word disclosure, reveal or acknowledge, acknowledgement, I think is a better word of the military to say that. Um, but it would have to be witnessed beyond that and have to be you know footage and stuff. But hey, before I forget, I wanted to say this on your last podcast, um, that I am... Uh, how many, two years have I been a, a Patreon subscriber? Yeah. I love the fact that your podcast, dude, you're one of the only ones that really don't have commercials. And, oh, thank and the you. reason why you do that is that you don't believe in that. Thank God. And so uh, you're like, again, you're like my first go-to. Uh, I think you and Alejandro uh, don't do that. Maybe, and there's maybe a couple more, but that's appreciated. And so that's why I subscribe and I pay because my time is of value and I want to be able to, to, you know, give back and, and hear stuff like this, but also, um, you know, it's a convenience that comes back to me because I don't have to sit through ads and, and, you know, hear about my pillow and, and, uh, you know, other products that I don't really use. Well, I will. Thank you for saying that Dean and anyone can support the show for a couple of dollars or more a month. And that's the Patreon page is linked right on podcastufo.com. But I will tell you this, that, I get contacted constantly. I I just got contacted from a advertiser that wants to pay me $250 per show to run ads. You know, there are ads on it. And um, I just decided in the beginning that that's something that I'm not going to do. I don't want to run ads on this. Um, now, there are, ads that pop up on, there are ads that pop up on YouTube. You know, that's a way to uh, I have that basically to supplement, you know, the graphics are costly and, you know, the things that I I do um, on occasion, you know, cost some money. But anyway, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have we have like three minutes, but um, going back to the to the nukes, you know, I mean, I when I had mentioned this, I just mentioned it, I believe, last week. And also the very first episode of the show is up on YouTube, by the way, on my YouTube channel. Um, so in that in particular, I mention it as well. And that's my insurance broker from years ago had said that UFOs had an interest in nuclear. He didn't say nuclear weapons. He didn't say, um, you know, nuclear power plants. He just said nuclear. And he you say know, nuclear or nuclear. <laughs> no, he said any anything <laughs> nuclear. He said, I do remember him saying it's not just warheads, though. It's power plants or something like that. He said they, yeah. they're very interested in it. And 
you know, so why not plutonium? Why not? Uh, you know, she was talking about nuclear, you know, warheads and things like that. But why? If that's the case, they have some type of interest, you know, why not into the element itself? Well, and then how visible is it if you're, you know, how many feet under the ground doing, you know, plutonium, which are, you know, unless you're certain nations, you shouldn't be doing those. Um, are they able to track that? Whereas missiles and stuff, they're, you know, at least the, the silos for it, you know, you could do a flyover and see yeah, um, that they're there. So how visible I you know, someone needs to do research on that. What 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 attracts them? That that would be really interesting just to focus on that one aspect. Yeah. Dean, it's been a real pleasure. We're right at the end of the show. I can't believe it went so fast. But thank you Likewise. as always. Uh, you're a good friend. It's always fun to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for inviting me. You bet. And we'll have you back when your things are, we know when they're going to be released and all that. All right, Dean, yes. you take care. All right. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye. All right, everyone. So I'm going to be back next week with Peter Slatterly from uh, Australia. Should be an interesting show. You really have to get he's got the real strong accent, but he's a fun guy and it'll be a great show. So remember, everyone, keep your eyes to the sky. We'll see you next week. 